You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano and I'm hosting this program. If you're living in Victoria, you're in the midst of a lockdown, if you're living in southern New South Wales, especially on the coast, who knows what's going to happen there in the next few days. So, anarchy, anarchos, without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You look at what gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people. And it's simple, inequalities in power and wealth. You don't need a PhD in politics or sociology. It's inequalities in power and wealth. So what is the anarchist struggle? The anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, that's devolved power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and share wealth. Because unless we don't break down that hierarch- those hierarchical di- divisions, things will remain the same ad nauseum. So that's what the anarchist struggle is. So if you are involved in that struggle, if you are involved in that struggle, well then you can, um, you know... You're involved in the struggle to share power and wealth. Well, sometimes even somebody as old and as miserable and as ugly as me gets surprised by incompetence. Breathtaking incompetence. You like that? It's not my words, but breathtaking incompetence is quite extraordinary. Quite extraordinary. When you look at the COVID-19 response, now this thing has been around since February last year, okay? February last year, and there's been lockdown after lockdown, especially in Victoria, regarding the containment of the spread of COVID-19. And it's not often, I don't think I've ever used the word breathtaking incompetence in my life, uh, on the anarchist world this week at least, in, over, over the last 44 years in terms of explaining what's been happening. Now, if anybody wants to find out what I've been saying over the last uh, you know, year or year and a half regarding COVID-19, you can go back to the podcast on 3cr.org.au, Anarchist World This Week, or the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, where I've raised this issue over and over and over again. And obviously people like me, 45 years' experience as a doctor, 50-plus years' experience as a radical activist. Well, I've got nothing to offer, have I, as far as those in authority are concerned. There are many people 
around Australia who've got nothing to offer, who've got a breadth of experience, especially in social and preventative medicine. But let's look at this breathtaking incompetence. Let's start at the very beginning. At the very beginning, when the pandemic began, everybody seemed to have forgotten that this was a airborne transmission was the biggest problem. We were all told to wash our hands, which makes sense, but nobody talked about masks. Well, very few people talked about masks, especially people in authority. And it took up to six months until the big you know, uh, lockdown in Melbourne for, for people in authority to realise that masks is the single most important way if you haven't got vaccination in order to contain COVID-19. And that was, the, and that was demonstrated to them when uh, there was a small breakout in Shepparton and nobody seemed to have caught COVID-19 in Shepparton, which is a city of about 50,000 people, although they'd been exposed to it on a number of occasions, because at that particular point in time, people were wearing masks. That hard. Secondly, there have been 21 breakouts from hotel quarantine. Now, everybody will tell you in authority that hotel quarantine is the best way to contain infection. Now, you're stupid and I'm stupid and I'm more stupid than you are because I like, I like to look at historical precedents. And if you look at every quarantine station which was established on the Australian shores because we were a ship-faring nation in an island, they're always outside the city. There was a lot of fresh air and people understood at that particular point in time, although this was the 19th century, that the best way to prevent disease seeping into the towns and cities around the Australian continent is by having quarantine stations outside the major metropolis. So what do we do in 2021? We have quarantine stations in the CBD of cities with four and five million people, when you look at Sydney and Melbourne, and obviously in the rest of the country. The only place that has purpose-built quarantine facilities is in Darwin, outside Darwin, where there hasn't been any breakout. Now, community transmission in this country has been directly linked to breakouts from hotel quarantine. It's very simple, 21 breakouts. Some have had catastrophic results, as we saw with over 700 deaths in Victoria directly related to COVID-19 during the second last lockdown. So you would think after 18 months that the federal and the state governments would have got together and it would have built purpose-built quarantine centres on the outskirts of major cities. You would think somebody with one synapsing neuron in their brain would have come to the conclusion that this is what is needed instead of continuing to persist with hotel quarantine. And even today, before I came into the program, I heard an expert say... Well, there's been 325 case, 325,000 people go through hotel quarantine since March last year. And there's only been 21 breakouts. But not everybody who goes into hotel quarantine from overseas has COVID-19 or develops COVID-19. So the ratio isn't 1 to 35,000, as they like to tell us. The ratio is 1 to 172. That's 1 to 172 
It's for every 172 cases of COVID-19, which is developed in a hotel quarantine setting, one case has leaked out into the community with devastating consequences. That's the second thing. Let's look at the third issue, vaccination. Now, the vaccination program in this country has been sabotaged both by governments and both by people, by us. It's been sabotaged before it began. Now, I know facts and figures don't matter in the 21st century and we try to manufacture our own reality to suit our own, you know, um, peccadilloes. But unfortunately, facts and figures do have an impact. And it's quite obvious that although AstraZeneca has one serious side effect, only at about 1 in 1.2 million Australians would die. That's right. 1 in 1.2 million Australians would die. So this vaccine hesitation in the community is totally ludicrous. And it's been fanned by an ineffective government campaign and a grossly ineffective rollout. Let's look at the current lockdown in Victoria, which most likely will be extended, or maybe extended as I'm speaking on the Anarchist World this week today. Let's look at it. Let's look at the situation currently. When you look at it and you look at the figures, 700 deaths from around 19,000 infections during the big lockdown. Let's forget about the economic consequences, the loss of jobs, you know. Let's forget about all the economic consequences. That's a, a ratio of about 4%. If 4% of Australians drop dead tomorrow from COVID-19, we'd be looking at about a mortality of about a million people. Then when you look at the mortality rate from uh, AstraZeneca's jab, which I've had my first jab on the 1st of May, I thought I'd celebrate May Day by having my jab, my first one, 1.25 million. Think about it. Extraordinary. That's death. Obviously about one in 200,000, 250,000 will get side effects. That uh, allergic, an allergic uh, reaction, a late clotting reaction. Then let's look at the vaccination rollout. This was taken over by the federal government. This is a totally government responsibility. It said, let's start from scratch. Let's start from scratch. Let's start from scratch and build a whole new vaccination network. Now, obviously, we've been dealing with influenza epidemics for decades and we've had flu shots for decades, obviously, decades. So instead of using the current networks, which are quite effective, which uh, vaccinated over 75% of people, and I think it was over 60 with the influenza jab, what happened is the Commonwealth Government said, let's big note ourselves, let's do some contracts with some private providers of the vaccine and let's set up this whole new 
vaccination rollout program. But they forgot one thing. They forgot one thing. To actually vaccinate people. To have a reasonable advertising campaign to encourage people to be vaccinated. To have vaccination centres available. Not just relying on local general practitioners, but state-sponsored, state-run vaccination centres where people could turn up and have a vaccination. And if you've been trying to get a vaccination over the last few days or the last week, especially in Victoria, it's a total schmozzle. Total schmozzle if you're attempting to book one. Telephone system is overloaded, a little bit like ringing Centrelink. The uh, computer system breaks down. And the list goes on and on. And then we have the ridiculous situation of in November last year, the Commonwealth Government saying, as far as the privately run health um, aged care facilities were concerned, well, it's all right if workers work, you know, in multiple venues. Because we like to have a part-time insecure workforce. We don't want people to be employed full-time because it means our profits will decrease. So under a little bit of pressure from the private nursing home sector, they rescinded, that's right, rescinded the ability of workers to only work in one place. Incredible. Incompetence after incompetence after incompetence. It is a breathtaking incompetence. It's extraordinary. Now, I could carry on about this till the cows come home, but why do we have this debacle? Let's look at the reasons we have this debacle in this country. Let's look at that reason. Because we've all forgotten to look at the reasons. And the reason is simple. What we have is an ideological issue. A political ideological issue about how to best deliver essential services to the population. And over the last 40 years, or 40 plus years now, during the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution, which has swept this country and most of the world, we're told that private is efficient, it's good. Public is inefficient, it's bad. You know when they talk about terrorists, the good guys and the bad guys? Well, in... In the 21st century, there is good and bad guys, and the good is private, the bad is public. Now, let's look at the hotel quarantine fiasco, because it is a fiasco, because the breakouts are the ones that have been responsible for most of the problems in this country. We have private organisations which are trying to make a buck being contracted to deliver the service. It's that simple. Private organisations contracted to deliver the service. 
That's the situation we find ourselves in today. Then we look at the vaccination rollout. Once again, we have private organisations which are based on the principle of private investment for private profit, which have been contracted to run the service. We don't even have a national infectious disease centre in this country. And there's no discussion about setting one up. We don't even have emergency centres around this country which are resourced and staffed by both state and um, federal governments to provide emergency relief in times of emergencies, fires, floods, cyclones, pandemics, and the list goes on and on. And the federal government continues to rely on the private sector to provide essential services during a pandemic. And time and time and time again, we are seeing a failure of the private model. And we will continue to see a failure of the private model if we continue to use the private sector to supply essential services. It's one thing using the the private sector to provide you a cup of coffee or some good you don't need or service you don't need, but it's another thing to allow the private sector to dominate the provision of essential services. And we are seeing this in many facets of government, many facets of government delivery. We've got to the same ridiculous situation where when you interact with a federal government department and many state departments, you are considered to be a customer. That's right, a cringing, complaining, carping customer, not a citizen with right and responsibilities, but a customer. Just extraordinary. So while we rely on the private sector outsourcing responsibilities of the private sector to provide essential services, we can expect to see this breathtaking incompetence regarding the pandemic. We don't even have a Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, which was established in 1911, which was privatised, I think, at about 1994, 93-94. We had to give, that's the taxpayer, to give the CSL, the privatised CSL, a billion dollars to ensure it would continue to manufacture vaccines in this country because they were talking about going offshore, always looking for a cheap, cheaper labour source. So think about it. No National Disease Control Centre. No National Commonwealth Serum Laboratory. No National Pandemic Response Team. And every time 
we need to provide basic essential services, we rely on the private sector. And the private sector has one goal in mind. And if it doesn't achieve that goal, it goes bankrupt. And that goal is very simple. To maximise profits. Private investment for private profit. It's about making profits. And how do you make profits from providing essential services? You don't provide the services to the people who need them or you skimp on the services on the people who need them. And you exploit the labour force which is contracted to provide that service. And this is what we see consistently in the aged care sector, in the, in the COVID-19 pandemic response. And as, as taxpayers, and we all pay tax, you may think you're on a pension of some type or social security benefit of some type, even one as miserly as the unemployment benefits, but you do pay taxes through the goods and services tax. You do pay taxes. We all pay taxes in one way or another. And to see our taxes be used in such a spendthrift fashion, providing such inadequate services, makes me sick. And what makes me sick is not just the fact that governments have embarked on this course over the last 40 years, but we as a people have allowed this to occur. We have allowed this to occur, believing the propaganda, and it is, all it is is propaganda, that private investment for private profit is the only way that a society can function. Extraordinary. Just extraordinary when you think about it. So next time somebody makes some pathetic attempt to justify the breathtaking incompetence around COVID-19 in this country, maybe you should point out to them to the fact that this is an ideological battle. This is about ideology. And what this government has done has put ideology before practical considerations and that ideology is about supporting private investment for private profit and we as a society we as families we as individuals are now paying the price for praying at the altar of mammon you listen to the anarchist world this week broadcast across australia by the community radio network now, unfortunately, Reconciliation Week has almost come and gone, especially in Victoria where there's been a lockdown. And um, unfortunately, the Mabo Day celebrations we had planned for tomorrow in Melbourne have been have been rescheduled for uh, NADOC Week. And that will be uh, on the 8th of July. So I'll keep you informed there. But why is Reconciliation Week important. It stretched from the 27th of May to the 3rd of June. Well, it's booked in by two very important days, National Sorry Day and Marbo Day. And obviously, we are still 
paying the price of the forced removal of Indigenous children in this country as a policy which was based you know, on assimilation. Now, a lot of people seem to have forgotten the importance of Mabo Day when the High Court of Australia on the 3rd of June 1992 handed down a decision after Mr Mabo and uh, two other Torres Strait Islanders from the island of Myrrh had a case running through the courts for the last uh, decade, from 1882 to 1992, which highlighted the whole basis at which this country had been built on, the concept of terra nullius, that this land belonged to no one because there were no cities, was incorrect, was a lie. And the First First Nations people had rights to land in law because of their prior occupation of this land and that their sovereign rights had not been extinguished in many areas of the country. Now, those of you old enough to remember the consternation which occurred around Mabo Day when we saw the Murdoch-dominated media tell us all, that those of us who had a backyard that... uh, we were going to get uh, people squatting, Aboriginal Australians and Torres Strait Islanders squatting in our backyards and claiming our backyards and listening to politicians talk about pouring bucket loads of extinguishment on the Mabo decision and seeing the legislative response where bucket loads of extinguishment was poured on the uh, Mabo decision would we'll realise how important that decision was in 1992 and how important it continues to be in 2021. So we have rescheduled Mabo Day celebrations. Obviously in the Torres Strait, the area which is governed by the Torres Strait Authority, there will be a holiday on Mabo Day. I wish them all the best for their celebrations. You listen to the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I was pissed off. I'm sorry to use strong language on the anarchist world this week, but I was pissed off when I picked up my Australian Financial Review copy and uh, looked at the Rich List, which was, uh, you know, published last week, and I went through every page. 200 richest Australians, and I couldn't find my name on it. I couldn't find my name on it, not even number 200. And number 200 only had a miserable $701 million as personal wealth. Now, this is about individuals. This rich list was about individuals, not about corporations and companies. And it's quite interesting that when you go through the rich list that the richest people, individuals in this country, have based their wealth on resources, Interesting is resources, then property development, and then technological innovation. But resources. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Resources. Don't we all own the resources which are under the crust? Didn't we steal them from this country's First Nations people? And don't they belong to all of us now? then I said, well, let's look at what we've got. We've got gas. 
were the second biggest exporter of gas in the world after Qatar, although we don't have any gas for local consumption, but that's another story. Then we've got iron ore, the biggest iron ore producer on the planet, bigger than Brazil, bigger than the sources that have been uh, developed in uh, Guinea, in uh, northwest, in northern Africa by the Chinese. Bigger than that. Okay? Bigger than that. Then we've got bauxite for aluminium. We're the second biggest gold producer after uh, China. We have some of the best diamonds in the world, which rival those from South Africa and Namibia. We're talking about pink diamonds, which is rare as hen's teeth. Opals. Poor man's uh, resource. Titanium. Mineral sands. Rare earths. Even fossil coal. Even coal. Gas and coal. Uranium. I'm sure you could think of a few more that I've forgotten or never didn't even know about. Because as we transform from a fossil fuel-driven economy to a renewable energy-driven economy, we still need resources for batteries to store that energy, and the list goes on and on. So I'm thinking, now, you, you've got to understand I'm very simple, just just like you are. We're, we're simple people, you know. We're simple people. We, we, we kind of look at things. We look at the basics, and we're very simple people. And I'm thinking to myself, right, so the resources under the crust belong to the government of the day, okay? They don't belong to you. You've got about eight inches of earth and then the rest belongs to the government of the day. Now, why hasn't the government of the day allocated money to develop these resources and then, for the profits that are made from exporting these resources, are then used to look after the interests of the Australian people. I mean, that's what Norwegians did. But they're Norwegians. They're funny people, aren't they? We're much smarter, obviously. No, no, no. No, we're not going to do that. We are not going to invest in the future in this country by developing this country's uh, natural resources, mineral resources, I should say. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to allow the private sector, there's that word again, private sector, to make a killing. To make a killing from developing these resources. So we've got people on the rich list in this country who earn almost $20,000 a second. Not a minute, a second. And we allow these people to legally minimise their tax. And when the Rudd Labor government had the audacity to talk about a, you know, a bit of extra taxation, we saw the likes of Gina Reinhardt, whose personal fortune now stands at over $30 billion, not million, billion protesting because it may affect her. Extraordinary. So this is what we've done. We said, oh, okay, we'll let the private sector develop the resources and we'll charge them a little bit of tax 
and some state governments charge them royalties. But when it came to the gas, we get nothing for 30 years. And we'll also give them offsets as far as their taxation is concerned because they're developing these areas and goes blah, 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 blah. Corporate welfare, number one. And I'm thinking to myself, this isn't right. This isn't right, is it? Really? 25 million, I know I've used this line every program for the last 20 years, but I'm going to use it again. 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent and we have almost a million children living in poverty. We can't even roll out a vaccination program. Can't build purpose-built quarantine centres. You know, can't provide a decent living for people who are unemployed. We can't even provide decent aged care because we've allowed that sector to be privatised. We have people sleeping rough during winter and summer and spring and autumn and the numbers increase as housing prices increase. We have governments privatising public housing as if we didn't invest in public housing as a community. And now we allow these people, we allow these people to make billions of dollars at the expense of the people of this country. And what do we do? Well, we ignore it. We don't think about it. We don't discuss it. We don't discuss about forced nationalisation of these resources. Yes, I've used it. Nationalisation without compensation. Heaven forbid I'm going to be kidnapped for raising the issue. So why shouldn't this country's resources be used for the benefit of this country's people? And I'll tell you why. Because we're too bloody busy working for the man. We're too busy trying to pay off million-dollar mortgages for three-bedroom homes in capital cities in this country. We're too bloody busy seeing psychiatrists and psychologists because of the stress of living in a 21st century competitive environment where dog eats dog. We're too bloody busy worrying about the people down the road who speak a different language or wear different clothes. We're too bloody busy fighting against each other around issues which are inconsequential to turn our thoughts to what is real, what is important. I mean, I was born in this country. And I didn't expect that as I approached the age of 70 that I would find this country in this situation where the private sector has a stranglehold, not just on the economy, but on the imagination, on the imagination of this country, on the imagination of people in this country who cannot imagine anything outside the current structures we live under. Extraordinary. Nose to the grind wheel, pay your taxes, obey the law, 
be a good boy, be a good girl, be a good non-binary, be whatever, and at the end, you'll get your just rewards. You'll be cremated. That's the reality. Honest, hard-working, moral, ethical people in Australia are losers. And I put myself in that category, believe it or not. I am a loser. I've been a bog-billing doctor all my life. I am a loser. I see my compatriots who squeezed sick people who are now retired, living comfortably. And I know many bog-billing doctors, and very few of them live comfortably in retirement. And it's the same with everybody else. The cleaner, the health aide, the personal care attendant, the person delivering food, and the list goes on and on and on. The person working part-time in some grubby little multinational corporate office. It's the same story, isn't it? Those who work the hardest receive the less. And those who invest, who've got disposable income to invest in this country, are the winners. The big winners. It's all about investing. Using other people's labour to maximise your profits. Squeezing people in aged care facilities. Underfeeding them or feeding them garbage for $3.20 a day in order to maintain your profit or Increase your profit, and the list goes on and on. So, what can we do about it? No point complaining, is there? I don't want to be a cringing, carping consumer complaining about this and that. What are we going to do about it? So, I've been on the planet a long time, and I've learned a lot of things. You may believe me, you may not. That's up to you. But I've learned a lot of things. You know what I've learnt first and foremost? They don't care. They don't really care what happens to you and your family and your friends. As long as they can make a buck, they don't care if they've got to walk over you when you're homeless, living on the street. They don't care when your business goes bankrupt and they take everything from you that you've worked for for decades. They don't care whether some slick talking accountant or financial consultant loses your money on some get-rich scheme. They don't care that you have to wait nine months for an urgent colonoscopy because you may have bowel cancer. And they don't care if you protest on the streets especially if you're violent. They love that. They love that because that actually, then they can use that in order to justify their existence. They're there to, you know, maintain law and order. And they don't care when you write letters. And they don't care when you don't vote. And I didn't vote for, for decades. And they don't care if you're voting formal. They don't. The only thing they care about is one thing. They do care about elections. And they care about elections because we have a, a veneer of democracy in this country. 
And they do care when new players come onto the field and take the attention away from their ideological brand. They care a lot. They care a lot. And they do care when those new people who take to the field have a broad-based position on issues. They're not just fixated on a single issue. And I'll tell you why they care. And that's why in 2015 we formed public interest before corporate interest. Not because we were going to be the government, but because we wanted to change the debate. When this country's media is controlled by a handful of robber barons and when the Australian Broadcasting Corporation has been gelded by government cutbacks and spurious accusations and campaigns, you know, to demolish it as a organisation that provides analysis, well then, you have to think of other ways. Who talks about nationalising this country's resources without compensation? Who talks about a universal basic income? Who talks about accepting the Uluru Statement from the heart? Who talks about providing the state, the taxpayer, providing essential services? Nobody these days. Nobody. Maybe a few commentators here and there, but nobody, no political authority, nobody in, you know, earning $20,000 a second. So I do encourage you to join public interest before corporate interests because we want to change the debate. Even if you obtain 1% of the vote in a federal electorate, that can sway the result because of the preferential system. 1% of the vote can sway the results. And sometimes you can use a political party to give some impetus to strikes, occupations, debate, protest, reactivate society, not just to worry about paying the mortgage or paying the rent, or where the next you know jo- job is, or worried if you're older, worried about what's going to happen to your superannuation. Those of you who were caught in the downturn in 2008 can see what happens to your superannuation when you invest in the private marketplace. So think about it. Think about it. You want to hurt them. You want them to take notice of you and not ignore you, ostracise you, marginalise you, push you into a corner, well then think seriously about joining public interest before corporate interest. You can do it by going to the website, pipsy.net, and downloading the application form. Don't have a computer, don't despair. You can always leave a message on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. You can always write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, and I'll send you out some application forms. 
Now let's get back to this rich list robber barons. Now look, I've been broadcasting on community radio 3CR for about, I think it's my 44th year, that's right, I should have retired long ago, as I can hear you all saying. And um, that's right, almost 44 years. It will be in July. And this program has been broadcasting across Australia via the Community Radio Network for at least 15 to 20 years, so people across Australia can hear my dulcet tones and hopefully, you know, not just listen, but maybe get involved in activity to change this society. And um, once a year, Community Radio Station 3CR in Melbourne, from which I've been broadcasting from, they're nice enough to allow me to broadcast via the Anarchist World this week, Radical Australia, and also Talk Back With Attitude. Once a year, they have a radiophone. You know why they have a radiophone? Because they don't rely on government grants to function. That's why I can speak to you on the radio. Long before the World Wide Web, long before the internet, long before social media, I was able to talk about various issues on this radio program which were not raised on other media outlets especially when there was no social media so this year on the 16th of June between 10am and 11am when this program is broadcast from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne I'm going to try to raise $15,000 that's right to keep this radio station on air because it doesn't rely on government grants. It relies on it listener sponsors. It relies it doesn't rely on advertising. And it relies on money that comes in through the radio phone. Now this station broadcasts three hundred and sixty five days a year, three sixty six in a leap year, and it's broadcast twenty four hours a day. I mean this program is podcasts and many programs that you hear in the Community Radio Network and many programs which come from Community Radio 3CR a podcast. But again, this radio station, which broadcasts across Australia via the Community Radio Network, runs on the smell of an oily rag. Or I should say, on the smell of a battery, <laughs> a renewable battery. But that's a different story. So, if Twiggy Forest can make... $20,000 in a second and Gina Reithart can make $21,000 in a second. I've been a volunteer here for over 40 years. I've never been paid a cent. I've never asked for a cent, never been paid a cent. I, even, I actually pay for the privilege of broadcasting this program out of you know, the pocket of the Anarchist Media Institute. We pay for the privilege of broadcasting Community Radio 3CR to ensure the station continues to function. So the target, as I said, is $15,000. Now, there's many, many, many ways people can donate. And you can donate before. That's right. You can donate before the 16th of June, Wednesday the 16th of June. Now, that'll be a special Radiophon program. Listeners across Australia will actually get a real program while I'm trying to struggle to get 15, a miserable $15,000 for Community Radio 3CR. And you can donate in many ways. You can, you can do it the fancy way. 
You can uh, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. That's 3cr. It's number 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. You can ring a number 039419 You can um, even post your donations to 21 Smith Street Fitzroy or you can ring between 10am and 11am and make your donation on air. So it'll be a chaotic day, the 16th of June, but let's see how close we can get to the $15,000. I know it sounds an extraordinary amount, but it really isn't. When we allow people to exploit our resources, First Nations people resources and our resources, and allow them to make a personal fortune, $20,000 a second, come on, think about it. Donate to the 3CR Radio Fund. And there is a silver lining to the cloud. If you've got a tax problem, like the rich and famous have, well, you can legally minimise your tax by donating to the 3CR Radio Fund via the Anarchist World this week. It, you, can get, you can still get a legal, legitimate tax deduction. That's right. So why do what Carrie Packer said? I don't pay taxes. I just use this country's media, you know, taxation-friendly laws for the corporate sector to minimise by tax. End of story. And when you see the way Australia's taxes are used in terms of bankrolling the corporate world, you begin to understand that it's important that people, you know, allocate their tax revenue in a way via which we can uh, look at different ways of living in this country. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can go to my YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest's uh, website, pipcpibci.net. You can go to Defend and Extend Public Housing website, uh, Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing or Public Housing Everybody's Business Facebook page. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. It just goes on and on. But ultimately, it doesn't matter how many social media sites you visit, how many times you get hot under the collar, how many times, you know, you throw a brick through your uh, television or through your uh, computer screen because you're so annoyed. It doesn't really matter because all they'll do is they'll section you and take you away. Because, you see, we live in an interesting period. It's a period where we're blind. We're blind to what's happening around us. I'll give you an example. We've got mandatory voting in this country. But everybody's concerned about mandatory vaccination of healthcare workers. Think about it. We've had mandatory voting since 1922. Now, if I was a pilot, which I'm not, and I never will be, not because I don't think it's a good job, it's just that I haven't got the skills and I'm too old to learn. If I was a pilot, you know, a commercial pilot, I'd be breathalyzed before I went to work. And if there are many places in, in, in Australia where you are breathalysed and drug tested, 
before you go to work. There are many aged care facilities in this country where if you don't have an influenza injection, you're not allowed into that aged care facility because you could spread disease. But it's quite extraordinary that during the middle of a pandemic, healthcare workers who need to be vaccinated are not offered vaccination. It took me five weeks to get my appointment and I'm on the front line. And many people working in the aged care sector can't get an appointment, haven't been vaccinated. It's just extraordinary. And it's extraordinary that it's still voluntary. I mean, if I went into a nursing home and started shooting people, I'd be put away for life. But you can go into a nursing home, not be vaccinated, spread an infection and say, oh, I didn't want to be vaccinated. Well, if you don't want to be vaccinated, well, don't work in the healthcare field. Work in another field. I mean, that's the reality. We all make sacrifices to work in various fields. Well, let's get back to what I was saying. That was an aside. Let's get back. As I said, we've come to the conclusion that there's no other way. There is no other way. It's all about privatisation. It's all about globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation. It's all about maximising profits for a minority in this country. We seem to have come to the resign to the fact that nothing will ever change. So we look for things via which we can escape. Maybe we've got a nice car we like to polish every week. Maybe we've got the best collection of pebbles in the universe. Maybe you go to church or the mosque or your synagogue or your temple every week and pray to God to improve things. But the reality is nothing will change without your participation. Nothing will change. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is heard across Australia via the Community Radio Network. It's also streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscana. You can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Facebook page, Joseph Toscana or Toscana for the Public. Um, what else? There's Instagram, Radical Australia, you name it, we're there. But importantly, nothing will change without your participation. Nothing. It doesn't matter what I say, what other people say in the world. Unless we become active, nothing will change. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week, next week, on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwash minds. Oh, larger.
Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep us going for another year. Independent community media is more important than ever, and we need your support to power community radio. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR Community Powered Radio. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality, and a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.